Okay, welcome to Movie Left, a movie review podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Montrullo, uh, joined here by my co-host, Comrade Dracula. Comrade, what's going on? Shit! <laughs> I'm doing great. Uh, <laughs> fucking, oh Gotta my do god. Longer. That, that was the longest she I've ever, I think I, he's ever done. Oh, uh, that... That was great. That was great. That, uh, <laughs> of course, reviewing the Five Bloods. Yeah. I just saw, uh, like, this This is um, the worst year, of course. 2020 is the worst year possible. Yeah. Uh, but I just, just saw some news this afternoon that we have some competition. There's a new game in town. Pete Buttigieg is uh, launching his own <laughs> podcast. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And the art, it's great because, like, the, the article uh, announcing this was from The Hill, you know, political newspaper and it's like the the picture they chose is almost trolling him because it's like he's he's his mouth is kind of like half open he's not quite smiling but he's like sort of looks like he's cackling (laughs) but he's looking up and off into space like into nowhere right and it it, it's just like the night is dark and full of tears that's all i can (laughs) say Fucking dollars to donuts that 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 podcast is going to be on the Pod Save Network because they, they that's what they do they, they oh. scoop up all the shit lib of course. you know they have to raise podcasts and they have like all well, these random you fucking know, finally a podcast to let us know uh, what Bain Capital wants us to think. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, yeah. So as you mentioned, we are reviewing uh, the Five Bloods today. Uh, Spike Lee's latest movie came out this year uh, during the pandemic, actually. This summer. Yeah, it just came out like a month ago, I think, or so. Um, and you know, obviously, the the main reason we're reviewing it, and we, you know, we initially said we we're going to review Back to the Future Three, which we'll do eventually. But this was obviously uh, a timely movie, both because of the content, but also because Chadwick Boseman. Uh, tragically died this week, you know, unbeknownst to everybody, uh, was was battling uh, colon cancer uh, for, for five, six years now, which um, is basically the bulk of his, his work as an actor he did since this diagnosis. And nobody, you know, outside of, I'm, I'm sure, his family and, you know, close friends knew about it. Um, there's, you know, a lot of talk that he didn't let Marvel know because they probably would have just recast him or killed him off in, in one of the movies. Absolutely. They would not have hired him to... Yeah, they wouldn't have hired him in the first place. Be this, be the, you know, he was in the, the, the four best Marvel films. Undoubtedly, the Mm -hmm. four best ones are the ones that he's in. And the best one is his movie. (laughs) I mean, you got... Arguably. So, Black Panther, obviously. Yeah. Uh, Infinity War, Endgame... Uh, and um, Civil War. Yep. Civil War is, I mean, basically Civil War is great, yeah. not a Captain America movie. It's a fucking Avengers movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, Winter Soldier is great, too, but he's not in that one. But, you know, it has one of the best, like, uh, knife fight scenes in the middle of the street. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah, amazing. The Captain America movies have the best action of all of those <laughs> right. Marvel movies. But, yeah. And, and, like, a character, like, I never would have given a shit about if they hadn't done such a fucking great job. Oh, but, yeah. 100%. You know, I mean, you remember, it was just, what, a year and a half, two years ago, Black Panther came out? You remember all the videos <clears throat> of people going to the theaters with, like, all the fucking drums? And it was like, this was this was a worldwide phenomenon. Massive, uh, massive moment in, like, in black culture and the yeah. black community. Like, it was just such an amazing uh, moment. I've never seen anything like that. I, yeah. I mean, you look at, like, the old videos of, of like, the people dressing up uh to go see star wars f- mm-hmm. back in 1977 yeah. for like the the 18th time they're you know like they, it was that big um 
And it made $1.4 billion globally. And, you know, they cast a, a, a young, well, I guess not so young, because we, we all didn't know how old he was. Yeah, until we, I, I were was like, amazed when I found out he was four. I was like, that's the, you could have told me 26, and I would have been like, yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. 43. Yeah. Unbelievable. And, and, it's and amazing. Phenomenal acting. Um, you know, again, the, you know, also amazing casting with the villain. Uh, it, it's hard to argue that he's wrong about anything. <laughs> oh yeah, no, Killmonger was was the the hero actually of that movie, right? right. And the fucking CIA backed uh, Wakandans were kind of the villains, but whatever, you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah. Um, but and I and we talked about this off air, but I mean, Black Panther stands, I think, head and shoulders above the other Marvel movies purely as a film because it actually has something to say. You know, unlike and and look, I enjoy you know the Marvel movies as much as anybody as like a kind of fun popcorn. You know, like I, Marvel movies for the most part have never made me feel something, but Black Panther like did got the closest to being like, wow, this is an actual movie written by like a really good fucking screenwriter and directed by a really fucking good director who wants to you know try to inject as much of his own politics and as much of his own perspective into a you know multi-billion dollar franchise as he can you know under the radars of disney's you know bullshit and vapidity. exactly well and they did a, a great thing was you know because obviously one of the uh difficult things to do with these is like uh set up this this massive 25 movie franchise is to uh introduce characters uh in another movie before they get their own movie right yeah but the benefit of that is that like, you don't have to waste a bunch of fucking time with the origin story bullshit in yeah. the one-off. You know, uh, I I don't ever need to see Bruce Wayne's parents get killed ever again. <laughs> the pearls hitting the ground, yeah, the right? <laughs> Which, if you know anything about actual like ex- like real pearls, they're individually beaded. So if you break the necklace, they don't fall all over the place. So Thomas right. Wayne bought his wife some fake pearls. Is what we, he, he's the, chi- the cheapest billionaire yeah, in the world. He's a fucking cheapskate. Yeah, which is hilarious to me. Um, there's a YouTuber. Uh, her, her name's uh, Comic Book Girl 19, who literally did re- like a review of how much she hates the Batman movies while she was actually stringing pearls. Uh, you know, it's like a like a split screen thing. Mm-hmm. And she brought that up. She was like, yeah, uh, Thomas Wayne apparently bought his wife fake pearls. <laughs> so It's canon. It's in every fucking movie. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah. It's just, yeah, um, trope after trope. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it just, the fact that, you know, Chadwick Boseman just died um, makes rewatchings. I watched it when it first came out, makes rewatching Defy Bloods uh, all the more tragic. Because even though he's maybe only got like twelve minutes yeah, screen time barely, in this film, nothing, and the film's a good two hour and forty five. It's almost three hours long, right? Mm-hmm. You feel him in every moment of this movie. His his ghost is in every moment of this movie, and the fact that he just died in real life is just like, oh god, gut wrenching to watch this now. Yeah, yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you know, even like watching this, he you could tell like, he's not. There's some in, in retrospect. Like I don't know if I would have noticed at the time. I would just be like, oh wow, he looks really skinny. But in retrospect, he doesn't look physically well in this movie. And you know, but that's comparative to how much. Well, he compared to how up. jacked he was, yeah, for right. Black Panther, it, it, it's they have to work out so much to get in that shape that 
you know, the minute that, uh, you know, Thor doesn't skinny, have the like, Thor body, they're like, oh, look at his dad bod. Look at his gut. <laughs> it's like he still ripped more than 99% of no, all No, 100%. But, like, he, but yeah. he looked, like, like famished a lot in this movie, which, you know. You, you can, you know... You can work out your your arms and abs and everything, and, and but you you can't hide like when your neck starts to get really skinny, yeah. and when, when your body is like sick just when you're doing itself, chemo, you know? Uh, you know. And everyone's like, "Oh, what, what a great story that he accomplished so much while he was fighting cancer." And it's like that you shouldn't have to. No, you should be no. able to have a career and take time off for that. But I think yeah. it, it was more like when you know you only have so much time left, you're you're like. I don't want to think about it. I want to keep working. I want to keep building a legacy and hope to God I still live. You know, I think that's that's really where And make as from. much money for his family as he can in those, like, five years that he had to make, you know, to actually sure. act. Sure, and and do more than just make money for your family. But, uh, you know, like in, in this movie, <laughs> um, give the money back to the community, right? Yeah. And that was kind of the, the, the big conundrum of this film. Um you know, Spike Lee, uh, who can make any kind of movie, whether it's perfect or problematic or conflicted or just controversial, he's always going to try to do something different. And that's why I think his films are always going to be compelling. And this one really mixes a lot of genres. Uh, and, and obviously he's, he's you know, drawing on many other Vietnam War films, especially Apocalypse Now, but also obviously the uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre, oh, yeah. which which he you know he's just blatantly like stealing elements of these movies, partly as an homage and partly just like yeah I'm gonna steal, <laughs> like who 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 you know we all steal for movies Tarantino is just like well, I fucking steal everything. <laughs> I, I literally while I was watching this I was like this feels like Spike's Tarantino movie, but then I was like no nah, it's just because Tarantino steals all of his movie elements from other great movies. You know it, it it's just it it did feel like elements of like a Tarantino movie almost not the you know the the directing style so much but the plotting the dialogue and then I was like yeah it's just it's just you know it's all cyclical it's all times a flat circle like they're all right they're all doing the same shit but no I, I mean I I really enjoyed it um very, yeah I look I love men on the mission men on a mission movies it, it felt very old school to me and I always you know I, I always kind of decry the death of the the mid-range kind of movies that like don't get made anymore you know you know you get the fucking the Black Panthers and the Marvel movies that we talked about, which are multi-hundred million dollar budget films, and then you get, like, indies that get, like, ten million dollars and have to squeeze out, you know, every bit that they can uh, of that money to make a movie. And this really felt like an old school, like, 70s, 80s, uh, you know, just kind of like 60, 70 million dollar mid-range movie. But those are almost all like the best movies, you know, from that era. Kind of fell in that, in that kind of range because they were able to go fly under the radar. They're original stories, you know. They didn't have to be some fucking franchise or sequel, and you actually kind of let creators create and make really interesting movies. And that, and I feel like that this movie definitely right. felt like that kind of a throwback movie. Spike Lee is one of those directors that can make whatever he wants. So yeah, like, what's point, what's sure. what's Spike Lee going to make? Okay, uh, Oprah, we need another you know uh, twenty million dollars because Spike's making a thing, um, and it, it'll happen, right? <clears throat> so yeah. it, it's um, it's just sorry, I got a little pop up thing on my screen here. It's just it, like whatever he's going to make is going to be good. And this was actually a script that originally was going to be 
a bunch of white guys going back to Vietnam, right? Really? We, and yeah, yeah, originally. And there was I forget the other director that was attached to this, and then they dropped out. Doesn't matter who it was, but uh, Spike Lee picked it up, and him and his his uh, writing partner rewrote it uh, to be a bunch of black guys because yeah, that's that's just what he's going to do. Uh, and I, I think it's it's important. Because it tells a very different perspective than it would have been otherwise. Um, you know, obviously, uh, at, at the time, uh, we had the draft, right? And the, the, the draft, usually if you were rich and white, you could get out of the draft pretty easily. Uh, you know, the, the, I love the, the opening scene, or one of the opening scenes, and they talk about uh, President Bone Spurs. Uh, you know, how could you vote for that guy, yeah, right? Uh, which is, we'll get into the, the element of, um, of that part of... Uh, Delroy Lindo's character, yeah. yeah. Um, actually, I read on, on IMDb that they never mentioned Trump's name in this movie, which isn't true. They do mention Trump by name in this movie, but they, they allude to him by a bunch of other things, right? Do they personally, though, or is it just like in that clip or something? Oh, no, no, no. They mention him by name. They mention okay. him by name. I, I had the subtitles on to make sure I didn't miss anything uh, yeah, in I the dialogue. Um but it, but if they did, it's like once, like it's very he's very he's like always looming over it, but he's ne- he's not like talked about sure, at length, you sure. know. But like the, you know, as a famous example of somebody who was easily able to get outside the trap because they're very um, you know privileged and wealthy, uh, you know, overwhelmingly, black men were drafted more often than than white men, right? Uh, mm-hmm. At the time, African Americans made up eleven percent of the population, uh, but were. I, I've I've seen different statistics on this, but I've read that they were 16% of the army, and I've also read they were 32% of the army. Wow. And I, I don't know why there's such a wide variation of what what it was. You know, we're t- we're we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people over the course of you know almost 15 years, right? So yeah. Well, uh, and we know the government really tried to f- like hide and fudge the Vietnam records and the death record for years. Oh, you know, yeah. until the until like the Pentagon paper, well, like all that shit came out. Like, that I, was... In my in my research, I found another really interesting statistic uh, from Time magazine, and I tried to research this more to find um, some better data, but I couldn't. But uh, apparently, seventy seventy <clears throat> percent of all black men who were drafted were actually rejected from the army hmm. for whatever reason. And I was very curious because, like, of course, you could just go to the, you know, when they, they draft you and you go into the you know draft board and they interview, you can just be like, well, I'm a gay communist, so uh, <laughs> I guess we can't really work. <laughs> right. And, and just saying things like that, it, you know, it's like jury duty, like, oh, well, if any, you know, like all, all murderers should hang. Like, you can't say stuff like that. And they'll, they'll be like, oh, well, you're too biased to be on a jury. Like, I, it really makes me wonder what people were saying that um you know they were getting rejected from the army that that often and and i tried to find like well how many white men were rejected from the draft right um and that was you know that was a huge part of the unrest that was happening at the time too you know we had a lot of uh you know obviously there was riots going on looting going on uh, throughout the 60s and people always say oh it was all that you know every, all these reasons that you know about um uh, police violence back in the United States, uh, or just an- general anti-war sentiment, but it was um, a lot of anger because black people knew they were being drafted more often than white people. They knew that they were being pulled out of their communities to go fight a war um, in a country, ha- you know, halfway around the world for for a country that didn't see them as people. And being put in the first infantry and being put on the front lines as cannon fodder, but which they kind of right. you know allude to in this movie, 
Um, they were just using the black troops to kind of, you know, basically just be the first wave of defense. So they all got gunned down and they could figure out where all the enemies, you know, positions were basically like that was, I'm sure happening constantly, you know, in in different platoons in the Vietnam war, which, which makes you wonder why they didn't have, uh, you know, more black regiments earlier on in our country's history where it was like, yeah, like (laughs) considering how racist we are that you'd think that would have been like the go-to move. Yeah, you, you think like the army would only be black but, people. But then the army would have to give black people guns, which they were also terrified of doing. So it, it's All like right. the, which element of their racism wins out, you know? <laughs> like, um, but no, I mean, and, and uh, there, were, there were aspects of the movie that got into stuff like that, which I really liked. I think overall, uh, I don't know if it's just a, 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 a failure of the script or maybe just a failure of... Spike's politics, I feel like they didn't do enough necessarily in the movie, uh, as much as I enjoyed the film itself, to to really dig into the imperialist implications of what we were doing in Vietnam. I mean, it, there, there are elements of it for sure, but I I just feel like I, maybe some of the characters should have had that revelation by the end, or you know, it it just felt a little little like glossed over to me. I don't know. What, what do you think? I I don't think it. I don't think it was that the imperialism was glossed over. I, I think this movie, like every Hollywood Vietnam War film, is trying to absolve liberal guilt over our atrocities, mm. and it addresses that. I think this film addresses that in many ways, right? But it's still from a very, you know, pro-American, American-centric. Mm-hmm. Uh, worldview that that says, oh, this was our big mistake, you know, like, oh, we're we're this isn't who we are, you know, like this this is not the the fiber of our being. It's a very still like West uh, West Wing point of view that like very we, Barack you know, Obama we've always sent, yeah. right, and you know, obviously like slavery and genocide have been addressed in all of uh, almost all of Spike, <clears throat> even Inside Man. When you get down to the core of that movie, it's about uh, basically revenge. Uh, for genocide, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's it's always going to be there, but it it still is telling a very one sided story, right? And and obviously the the trauma of what these guys went through was important, right? But this film, like so many others, it paints the Vietnamese as victims, right? The Vietnamese, yes, they were we invaded them and we killed three million of those people, but they were victorious. They're the ones yeah, who no, they, won. They won the war. Like. They won the war. They, okay, so just, just if anyone doesn't know the history of how we got involved, uh, Vietnam was occupied by France. They were a French colony prior to World War II. Mm-hmm. When World War II started, Japan invaded Vietnam, and the French said, oh, shit, let's, let's see ya, bye-bye, Vietnam, you're on your own, and they abandoned the Vietnamese to, to fight Japan on their own. And Vietnam fought uh, Imperial Japan in World War II and beat them too, right? And as soon as they beat the, you know, one of the biggest armies in the world, France said, oh, <laughs> we're back now. And Vietnam said, fuck you. The fuck you are. And they declared independence. In 1947, Vietnam declared independence. And it's one of the most amazing declarations of independence. Uh, it was patterned on, on our own U.S. Declaration of Independence, and it referred to France and Japan as like fascists 
and imperialists. And it was almost like an appeal to America to like, hey, like we're trying to do what you did hundreds of years ago. Like, will you kind of, will you support us? And of yeah. course, America said, fuck no. We're going to, you know, be on the wrong side of history and, you know, fund France's new war against you to reoccupy you. So this tiny little peninsula of rice farmers beat Japan, then they beat France, and then America jumped in, and they beat us too. The, the biggest army and air force and navy in the history of this earth. Japan, I'm sorry, Vietnam beat us. <laughs> and, you know, so for them, it wasn't a civil war. It was a war of reunification after we had cut their country in half, after mm-hmm. they had declared independence. Yep. Right, so this movie addresses none of that, uh, other than to be like, oh, you know, if we just would have had uh, McDonald's, we could have beat the VC, and it's like that—that you know, it's it's meant to be a problematic joke, mm-hmm. but to the audience, it doesn't read that way. It just reads as, you know, thank thank God this this communist country finally let in our fast food chains, and that's how we identify with them as normal now. Yeah, like, exactly. No, that that's just—it's it, so ahistorical. So I, I don't know if I want to jump in on this this excerpt from this New York Times article because it feels like I'm really bashing the film now. But well, let's let's go through the movie a little more and we'll, we'll yeah get yeah to yeah that. We'll, we'll circle back um, to that uh, to use some corporate but, but, speech. But, right, yeah. <laughs> um, um, but but for real, Vietnam, the fucking Rocky Balboa of countries, just unreal levels of, of you know outpunching their uh, outpunching their stat standing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but so yeah, I I I made note of that too. That whole capitalism got to Vietnam anyway. It's like ugh, just so cringe. Um, you know, there was that one scene. The one, mo- and again, this movie kind of falls into that trope of like, oh, evil, scary Asian men in the jungle. Uh, there was that one scene though that I, I I kind of I really appreciated where I think Spike was almost trying to, you know, show the human side of the Viet Cong. Uh, in his own way, where they were kind of walking through on patrol, uh, and the one guy was telling his, uh, one guy was telling his other like platoon members, like the, of the Viet Cong, he was telling him that story about like his wife writing him a letter, and he was like reciting this poem, and it was all in, in Vietnamese, so like none of the American soldiers knew what they were saying. All they just heard was you know uh, these soldiers like muttering to each other, and it was like you know. I think in any other movie, you would have just heard them muttering to each other, and you'd be like, oh, shit, what's going to happen? You know, these these scary men with guns and rice paddy hats are going to kill our, our American heroes. But he was actually just, you know, it, it was just a, a, a guy having a human moment with his buddies. Sure. And then the Americans just viciously just gunned them down, you know. It, it, so I, that, was, that scene was interesting to me, and I think that was like him trying to almost get at that. But I, I just feel like it was very – that that element of it was lacking. And I think, you know, overall, I, 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 like you, I enjoyed the film, but I just don't think that the politics of the film were that advanced in in certain aspects. Like, he just can't help but get out so of his to, own bubble in to, some to, degree. To sure. some degree. To add to that, um, you know, I love the, <clears throat> the, the Radio Hanoi oh, yeah. uh, scenes or montages there where you have this woman who's speaking over the radio addressing the black GIs directly. Uh, and, you know, trying to demoralize them, but not by saying things that aren't true, but by saying things that are true. Mm-hmm. And you notice every single shot she's framed in, there's like an, an official with like a very uh, like a ceremonial 
general uniform standing behind her. And you, it almost reads like she's being like, here's the authoritarian yeah, this, communist this state. This is the communist propaganda that you're, you're going to recite on the air. Right. But the, her, delivery, her delivery makes it very clear that she's <clears throat> like she's not under duress. Mm-hmm. And she's, she knows and believes all these things she's saying. And it's like, almost like he, it reads more to me like he's just there to back up the fact that like, this, is, this, is the, this is the VC authority that knows this stuff. Mm-hmm. They know that America's racist. They know they're being invaded by a racist colonizer state, right? So it's, it's adding authenticity to what she's saying, that she's not just uh, you know, a radio DJ. Like, she is the voice of the communist state of Vietnam, right? Um, but he's sort of framed and in, in lit in a way that he looks kind of scary behind her the whole time. You know, um, it's... It's it's but, almost oh yeah I'm sorry go ahead no go ahead go ahead well I was gonna say it's almost a Rorschach test because it, it, that it, you I think we all see it the way we're kind of have been programmed to see it because for so long in films and TV you know the Viet Cong and and any kind of uh, you know quote unquote you know any basically any country that we've been at war with is always painted in this light of like oh these 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 evil communists with their gulags and their their you know their vicious oppression and they're like all, right. they're always lit in the dark and in the they're background they're so and evil they wouldn't let us invade them what the <laughs> fuck is their problem so i think that's almost you know ingrained in us when we see that imagery to be like oh these evil motherfuckers and even in like the filmmaking that's probably ingrained in spikes you know psyche a little bit too but i think you know it's it's important that to to mention that she does Everything she says is true, and it's also, you know, uh, she does deliver it with conviction. I mean, I, I also did take note of that. She she knows what she's saying is true. She's not, you know, like, just reciting Right, it's, she's not just reciting propaganda she doesn't understand. And I love that she signs off every time with be safe. Mm-hmm. Like, who in America would say be safe <clears throat> with genuine empathy to someone that invaded their country? Yeah. You know, like, that. <laughs> it's just... You know, if if communism is uh, anti-racism, sign me up. Yeah, for sure. And you know, there and she, there's that scene where she tells him about the the death of Martin Luther King, the assassination of Martin Luther King, and we get that flashback to uh, the Five Bloods together, uh, and basically all ready to be like, all right, let's just kill these white motherfuckers <laughs> in our platoon. And uh, Chadwick, you know, plays Norman kind of talks him down and you know up until that point i was almost like oh this guy's like the fred hampton in the group with the way he was talking but right I, you know it, it's just i i don't know i, I wish they had explored that more i, I do too there's, it's just very faint yeah like what was his motivation for <clears throat> making them all woke and then trying to like pacify them yeah exactly it, he felt like cia at that, in that it, scene, a you know, little bit like... and you know it, it's of course you know we miss chadwick now we want more screen time with him but i would have loved to specifically for that reason have that fleshed out slightly more you know just just to be like look i get it let's do that shit when we get back to the homeland but like right now i need you to focus on where we still are which is like we're in you know we're in the shit (laughs) right but then he also like had, like starts shooting his gun for no reason. They all shoot their guns in the air and screaming, which super dumb. Give away your like, position to he, everyone. Just give here. away your position where you were hiding out uh, to everyone for miles around. Yeah. So way to go. Yeah, um, for so sure. huge, huge anachronism there. But it's interesting though because if you if you it's it's really hard to find information on this uh, because of course the military like wouldn't want anyone to know about it at the time. But in the height of the Vietnam War. 
on an aircraft carrier, there was a, a black lead mutiny that for about half an hour took over an aircraft carrier. Wow. And I, I have read about this extensively a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and I could not find my notes on it that I took at the time. I want to see that movie. <laughs> and could not. Oh, yeah, it'll never get made. <laughs> the, the anti-Top yeah, no. Gun. 100% never get made. Uh, but, yeah, it was like it was, it was about 80 black sailors <clears throat> on an aircraft carrier uh, took over a portion of the ship. And I don't think it was the bridge, but it was like they had a – they basically – it was like a prison riot where, like, you can't, you know, you're not going to win long term, but they were angry about the war. They're angry about the draft. And they were angry about the conditions they were serving under. So they had, like, a, a violent mutiny that lasted for all of, like, 30 minutes. Um, and it got in the news. It did make it in the news. That's the only reason why we know about it. But it was still kind of like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm we sure don't phone calls that. were made. Yeah. And it never got, like, another, you know, mention again once it did get published. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, still, I read about this and I'm like, same reason shit. we don't hear about the same reason we don't learn about John Brown in uh, in in you know school because it would be like, oh, right. we could just do that, like you know. No, just... Supposedly, there's been a movie in development with uh, Ethan Hawke to play John Brown yeah. for like several years, but it hasn't gone anywhere. Which, you know, we we know how hard it is to make any movie, let alone a good movie, and, let alone a good movie about important whitewash history. it completely. So we'll right. see what you know. I mean, obviously it was white, but like you know, white perspective wash it in this case. I guess we'll see what happens with that. But, yeah, no, I mean, I I, I really thought in that moment that that would be, like... Because that would have been the heroic move for them, is to just, like... Even if... I'm not saying kill all their, their squad platoon mates, but, like, to lay down their arms and be like, fuck this, let's go home. I mean, at least frag a couple officers. <laughs> yeah. Right? Oh, no, for sure. Like, the dickheads who are actually, Grenade like, in the latrine. Let's go, people. <laughs> but, but, like, that, yeah. I, you know, and it's just, like, it, it felt a little bit, when they found the gold, like it was a little bit of, like, a black capitalism can save you from capitalism moment to me. I don't know. It, it was just, it was kind of the vibe I got at, at times during this, uh, during the movie. And again, I really don't want to shit on this movie because I really enjoyed it as a film. But like, I just there's always that lingering thing in the back of my mind where I was like, eh, I don't know if like the it, just just some of the well, politics rubbed me the wrong way. But I but again, I really did enjoy this movie. I don't want to shit But everybody, you know, Delroy Lindo's character is, is obviously the real star of this film. Right? Unbelievable and, performance. And his performance is amazing, even if the character is a little hard to take at times, mm-hmm. right? Like. Yeah, I get it. This is traumatic, but like, really, you, you're that torn up about X. I could see if like he killed him on purpose, and he felt guilt about that his whole life. But to completely have shot him on accident, and be that torn up about it all that time, I'm like, that's a little hard to take. Like, I, I agree, but I've also never killed a guy. So I don't know. You know, maybe, I mean, especially like a friend of mine. So I mean, I, I can I can imagine it's traumatic. Well, and I think it was also that combined with just the traumas of the shit that they had to do in Vietnam. You know, like I agree, I agree. But he's also, uh, you know, like the uh, to have the trauma that much on the surface. You know, and have him constantly talking about this yeah, trauma, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. say, "I can't talk to anyone about this." And it's like, "Bitch, you are right." <laughs> but you've now. been talking what about you... this the whole movie. It's um, like all you ever talk about. That's the only thing you talk about. I want to actually talk uh, about though the cat Delray sure. Delray Lindo. I, th- this is a, a fucking a murderer's row of like great black character actors who I could not have told you a single one of their names. Like before, you know, you show me a picture, baby. Like, oh my god, I love that dude in The Wire, or I love that guy in The Wire, or I love this guy in, you know, Gone in sixty seconds. These guys were all—they were all in The Wire, weren't they? I, no. The, well, no, like three of them were in The Wire, but I, I know. Um, 
but no, so yeah, Delray Lindo has been in a million things. Um, you know, he was actually in Malcolm X. Uh, they've, he's had small, he's been a character actor uh, his whole life. He's had a lot of small roles, but he's always been great. And I've always thought when I see him and shit, like, oh, this guy is a really good actor. I bet he could kill it in a leading role, and he fucking kills it in this movie. Like, I, it's like this dude's in his 60s probably and has never really gotten a chance to, to do something like this. And I'm really happy for him that he did get this chance to, like, take on such a meaty role. Um, Clark Peters, who plays Otis, uh, was... Uh, what was his name Leonard on the wire? The, the, the miniatures guy always made the miniatures on the wire. He's fucking great in this. Um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Norm Lewis p- plays Eddie. He's kind of, he, I don't really know him from anything, and he's more of a, a kind of like a cannon fodder character because he's the first one to go from the group. Um, and uh, Isaiah Whitlock plays Melvin. Uh, everyone knows him as Clay Davis from the wire, you know, most famous for his delivery of the word shit. Which he actually gets in in this movie, which, again, it was like the longest she I think I've ever heard him do in this movie. Oh, it was comical. It was great, like... great callback. Great callback. <laughs> it was great. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the Wire changed everything uh, for me. Because um, I only watched it a couple years ago, actually. It was one of those people that, like, I never, uh, like, had a, a way to watch it when it first yeah, aired. Yeah, it was on a long time ago, like, in early Right, this is before so. you could just, like, watch HBO on your fucking smartphone. Like, you watched it, was... it or you missed it. Yeah, you watched it on Sunday right, at 10 or right. you didn't so, see it. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to wait until I have an ability to, like, binge it from start to finish rather than piecemeal it. Because mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, w- miss the, the gravity of it. I really want to analyze it well, right? And... They really suck you in as like this is another CSI police procedural, right? And it has a few elements of that, but then it tells this fucking like Game of Thrones level political intrigue story, um, and, and maybe shows what it's like to live in public housing in Baltimore uh, or Philadelphia or wherever in the most authentic way that I've ever seen portrayed mm-hmm. on television. Yeah. And tells and tells it, you know, and then it's like, hey, they show what happens if you legalize drugs. Oh, hey, guess what? Crime goes away. <laughs> Can't have that. Yep, nope. <laughs> Got to make drugs illegal again. It, it, and it's still amazing to me that uh, someone is with as fucking terrible and like blind spotted politics as David Simon made that show. Uh, but but again, when you make shows like this, it's not just the one guy. It's like, you know, you get a writer's room full of people and they inject their own perspectives. And I think that they make people you know, white shitty liberals like David Simon see, you know, through the things that he maybe has blind spots oh, on. So I know it's when, just... when they when they burned down that CVS in Baltimore and David Simon was like finger wagging about that. It's like, dude, you literally Not made the, the wire. wire. Like, what how are you doing? You, you fucking don't understand how people could burn down a corner pharmacy. Yeah, it, it's unreal, <laughs> unreal. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I love also, that. Also, amazing casting for uh, Littlefinger as the mayor of Baltimore. Oh, God, so good. And which, and if people don't know who've seen The Wire, he was supposed to be Martin O'Malley. Like, that was David Simon be like, yeah, Martin O'Malley's such a fucking, like, f- obviously phony and fucking, like, corrupt politician that I'm going to make this character on the show and name him something that sounds pretty similar to Martin O'Malley, you know? Right. Um, I mean, at least Littlefinger had some charisma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But, oh yeah. God, Martin O'Malley. Uh, since we're talking about just uh, as an aside, since we're talking about white actors, real quick, I wanted to also mention briefly uh, Paul Wal- Walter Hauser in this movie. He's one of the the, uh, the portly mine mine op- looker 
guy. <laughs> so I first noticed this guy from the, the bodyguard, quote-unquote bodyguard. He played in I, Tanya, uh, which is Oh, my, my God, that was dark. him. Holy shit. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I legit did not because of and the mustache. I didn't recognize he him. also stars as Richard Jewell in the Clint Eastwood film Richard Jewell yeah. about Richard Jewell. Um, and he has this amazing ability to be fucking hilarious without trying to or without like just his he he always plays a character that's kind of just fine with everything no matter how bad shit gets the slack face kind of like almost like stupid look that he gets like it's just it's it's great no he's great right like oh you're being charged for terrorism he's like well you know i didn't actually do that so oh well <laughs> in this movie like yeah they're shooting at us so i'm gonna stand up here on the roof and uh oh, oh well yeah. Uh, so it says here you're not actually an international expert on counterterrorism. <laughs> yeah, but I kind of am. <laughs> like he just has a, I, I love this fucking guy. I, 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 I legit didn't know that that was the same guy. He he yeah he's he's great. He's really funny. Very small role in this film, but still just <clears> like <throat> hilarious. Every every line he has in any movie he does is fucking hilarious to me. <laughs> you know what's funny too about the mind situation? I I really thought like. Uh, the first scene where they find like the gold bar, I was like, obviously Isaiah Whitlock's gonna fucking step on a mine because they just keep conspicuously showing him, you know, like, oh, I got another thing right here, Be, you know, like finding metal shit. And I was like, oh, he's definitely gonna step on a mine and blow himself up. Oh, it, it, it was the great. There was so much foreshadowing so too. Much. You know, when he says like, "Well, I'd never jump on a, on a grenade for you guys," and like, well, literally, <laughs> yeah. literally, he he does uh, later on. Um, and then also in, in like the, the the initial montage, which starts out with uh, Muhammad Ali uh, talking about why he refused to cooperate with the military, uh, and then of course the military decided to ruin his career for yeah. it. Great country we live in. Yep. Um, they show a bunch of footage of, of like, like actual uh, soldiers using a minesweeper, and then a mine going off and blowing up. So mm-hmm. it's like you, you know usually we see like the stock footage of the bombs falling. You know, as they're carpet bombing villages and burning their huts and everything. Yeah. Uh, and they don't show any of that in, in that montage. They they just focus on the mines, right? So, like, a very kind of different look at that, right? Because we don't really think about... Let me, let me sort of rephrase this. Like, with any veteran, you know, there's two wars you fight. The one you actually went there, and then the one you're fighting the rest of your life in your mind. Right, and and that legacy of warfare is the one that you know a lot of movies focus on. This one does too, but you know there's still tens of thousands of landmines mm-hmm. out there in the forest, out there in the jungle uh, it, that that we put there, that we left. Right, you know when you when you see the kid who comes into uh, the bar with one leg and asks for money, it's like well he's clearly you know too way too young to have been alive during the Vietnam War, but why does he only have one leg? Well, guess what? Because he stepped on a fucking landmine that we left. So there's, you know, there's still people who are being killed. And it's not just in Vietnam. It's in other countries we left them too. Um, But, you know, the rest of the world realized that, like, that's a terrible thing to do. So every country, except for two, signed an international ban on landmines. Guess which two countries wouldn't sign that ban? Hmm. Us and Israel? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I legit did not. I was like, who are the two worst human rights abusers in the world right now? Exactly. Uh, America and Mini-Me America. Yeah. 
<laughs> and America 2.0. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. That's just, yeah. I mean, it, and it really is atrocious when you, th- I think we've, we've almost just kind of come to, ex- oh yeah, of course, landmines are part of war. It's so atrocious just to think about the creation of that weapon. It's like completely indiscriminate, could kill anybody, could kill, and has killed, you know, hundreds of thousands of, of innocent people, I'm sure. You know, kids fucking walking through you know, playing in the jungles of, of these countries that are 80% jungle, stepping on these things and blowing themselves to fucking smithereens. Like, it's yeah. it's such a horrific, you know, among among all of our... I mean, like, it's just... Have we not created and or popularized every horrific weapon ever used in a fucking war? Like, you know, between Agent Orange and fucking land... Which, you know, they mentioned in this movie, and landmines and carpet bombs and fucking... Just all, the, all this... Just... Just, there's no moral fiber whatsoever to this fucking country, no. and and it's just unbelievable that we that we you'd kind of go insane if you thought about it all the time because it's just like the shit we do like we're in some ways worse than the fucking Nazis like like if you look at the arc of our history as a country and the amount of atrocities that we've committed like Nazis did a lot of their shit in a very small window. But when you look at, like, the, the, right. the depth of the, you know... They, like, they were like, look, we're not going to get away with this very long, so we better do as much as we possibly can. No, they, they, had the, like, they had the Beatles album catalog run of atrocities we've had, right, you know, right. America, was, America was like the Eagles. We're like, we'll keep squeezing out some fucking piece of shit oh God, repetitive hit single every couple years here. Reunion tour? Yeah, we're going to bomb a rock yeah. again. <laughs> this is the most inappropriate, we're but also... We're the fucking Eagles! Most- <laughs> This is the most inappropriate, but also the most accurate metaphor I think we've ever made on this uh, podcast. But, <laughs> you um, got to know your rock history, yeah, man, yeah. if you want to. No, for sure. <laughs> um, but no, I would challenge Pete Moody Judge to make better analogies than that. Right, right. He's gonna have to have writers come up with shit like that, and they're gonna be like, "Oh, where do we go for inspiration? Oh, let's let's copy the socialist podcast." We got it. We got to listen to the first episode of that just to review it at some point, just for oh, for the God. for the show. You remember when the Krasenstein brothers came out with their podcast, oh, God. Oh. and we 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 like all heard their voices for the first time, and we we're like, they That's... did they just like breathe helium balloons? <laughs> why do they sound like chipmunks? Like, yeah, because they're like these big roided up like you know jacked up smiley dudes and we're like oh that's what they said like it's just it's the most incongruous thing i think i've ever seen and yeah they're they're twins who clearly are you know have incest sex twincest uh <laughs> but like you literally could not tell their voices apart it was like this is this just the one guy pretending to be two different people like having a schizophrenic conversation with himself yeah uh yeah so d- definitely how to not podcast yeah so you know the other the other cast member who who uh, factors prominently kind of becomes the the de facto fifth blood of the of the you know the older version of these guys is uh, Jonathan Majors who plays uh, Paul's son David and he's an actor who I I don't think I've ever I, I, maybe he's been like a, a small character in something I've seen but I don't remember ever seeing this guy until, until like a couple months ago when you know between this and Lovecraft Country which is this great eight new HBO show. Um, yep. that I've been watching and, and loving, uh, and we've, you know, talked about it a little bit on, on the main podcast, uh, which also, you know, heavily deals with, with racial, uh, issues, uh, from, from this time period from the, well, from the fifties and, you know, obviously then the sixties and he's fucking great in this movie. Like he's, you know, he, this dude's a revelation to me and I really think he's going to be a great young black actor in Hollywood. 
uh, I, you know, I hope he's getting a bunch more uh, work after these two things because he's he's great. Like he's really good in this movie. He's great in Lovecraft Country. They had a, another great episode last uh, yesterday, I guess. No, no, no Sunday. Uh, Sunday. Yeah. I haven't seen that one yet. Okay. I need to catch up on that. Uh, ideally, I, I I hope we we're gonna probably have re- time to review, review the whole the series, whole series whole. at the end. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, he's also really short too. Like he's so buff, you is don't he realize. Really? He, yeah, I wouldn't notice. Yeah, he is. Like, well, if you look at a couple of the the wide shots in Lovecraft Country, and you uh, <clears throat> see him next to other uh, actors, he's he's tiny. But yeah, I mean, who gives a shit? He's fucking great. I, yeah. This, the, I mean, look look at all tall Sylvester Sloan and Arnold Schwarzenegger are. They're like five eight. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're super short. Yeah, Tom Cruise <laughs> no, too. Tom Cruise they, they is get, like five six. Like he's oh a no, Tom, Tom Cruise is like like five four. He's yeah. super fucking tiny. They got to have these guys walk up on apple boxes in like every uh, outdoor scene they have them on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, he he's great in this. Uh, feels like a tag along character, but is extremely memorable in everything he does in the film. Uh, even though he's he's something of a slightly passive protagonist in in the film. Um, but it's it's really heartbreaking because like his father's such a dick to him mm-hmm. the whole time. Like literally, how many eighteen year olds would fly across the world to make their, sure their dad doesn't go crazy? Yeah. Like none. <laughs> no. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I I really enjoy that the the kind of almost the Kanye Westification of uh, of of Paul Delroy Lindo's character in this in this movie, and I don't really like it. At times, it almost kind of bleeds into like shit lib like not like unfunny like attempts at comedy territory with some of the stuff they say in dialogue but uh you know i think i think spike was trying to to get at something there like i don't think it was just basically going oh trump is awful and like with no further analysis like i think i think there was something more to that paul character you know i just again i just i wish they had dug a little deeper on on those aspects of it despite you know the the gargantuan runtime of this movie yeah yeah i think at the end of the day it doesn't matter it's kind of one of those things like it like why are you hurting so much more than everyone else why are you turning to trump as a solution for all these things Mm -hmm. that have been wrong your whole life you know like it it doesn't it's not logical doesn't make sense yeah right and that's that's kind of what war is it doesn't fucking make sense but it still happens yeah right It, it keeps happening because uh you know, it is an institution based on failure. You know, yeah. violence. What was the, the quote uh, from the famous uh, anti-war objector um, from Vietnam? Violence by any other, you know, oh God, what is it? Violence know. by government, as in all other relations, is an admission of failure. Huh. I like that. I like that a lot. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. And failure is inevitable. You know, sometimes yeah. war is inevitable, uh, but it it's, <laughs> you know, um, to be human <laughs> is to folly. Well, and also it's our first, it's our go-to move, like, in, it's our initial move in almost every situation. Well, in you know, we, we did monetize it. It used to be just like, <laughs> hey, we'll fight the war and then take all of your crops and your, uh, you know, cattle and your women and whatever gold you got. But now it's like, we don't even really do that. Now it's kind of like the, the means of the war is is more profitable than um you know the the what you you know to the victory go the spoils mm-hmm. now it's the the battle itself is the spoils yeah 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 uh you know really fucked up i you know a couple notes i took i'm just looking through my notes here that i took 
just an incredibly beautiful country. Like I, I really took notice of that when they were on the uh, the kind of riverboat, you know, going through the, going mm. down, going through like the the fields and like the, it's just an incredible country and it's it's such right. a shame the shit this, 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 this was not the heart of darkness this was, this was like the heart of like bright and sunny colorfulness that is vietnam yeah i was like i really just want to go here now like i, I just want to fucking travel here and like you know absolutely absorb yeah their culture. so while they're on that boat there is the scene that um kind of doesn't make sense and i'll, I'll jump into that uh, a little bit later here but the the scene where the guy tries to sell oh, the, chicken. The, yeah. the chicken and like doesn't want to give up right and it it's i i read a this article from new york times um by a guy named viet than uh Guen, and he had a lot of criticism of the film but one of the things he he mentioned was uh the the people that are sort of the 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 boat merchants uh you know or merchants anywhere they are used to selling things to so many americans and so many europeans there's no way that somebody would try to sell a live chicken to an American. <laughs> they would know full well that whether you ate chicken or not, you're not going to buy a live chicken and kill it yourself if you're an American. Yeah. Right? So that was, it was just like that seemed like just a way to, like a very forced scene to me. Sure. That further made it look like Vietnamese people are backwards and barbaric and, you know, just like, oh, they eat dogs and cats over there. Mm-hmm. It's like, like, no, no. Uh, and again, just felt like we looked, we still look down on the people of Vietnam. Yeah. So it was, it was Spike's Americanness bleeding through a little bit. Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. Maybe, maybe this is a good point to just kind of read through a couple of yeah, paragraphs yeah, that I had here from this article. Cause I want to kind of get, out of the, get my criticisms out of the way and, and kind of, uh, focus on more of the things I did love about this film here. So, <clears throat> so just from this article, this guy wrote, um, Going to just start reading here. So, uh, for Hollywood and for Americans, it is better to be the villain or anti-hero rather than be a virtuous extra, so long as one occupies center stage. For Vietnamese people, as well as Laotians, Cambodians, and Hmong, their role is almost always that of the extra. Their function is to be helpful, rescued, blamed, analyzed, mocked, abused, raped, killed, spoken for, spoken over, misunderstood, or all of the above. The Five Bloods Remains, a Vietnam War movie, in quotes, about fighting an American dirty war again, except that it puts black men in the spotlight and it eliminates the worst of the anti-Asian yellow peril racism that characterizes the genre. What remains, however is evidence that while Lee means well, he also does uh, does not know what to do with the Vietnamese except resort to guilty liberal feelings about them. The sense that the Vietnamese people must be victims also plays out in an episode where a vendor tries to force uh, one of the black veterans, Paul, uh, played by Del Lindo, to buy a live chicken, some, uh, something that no Vietnamese I know has ever heard of. <laughs> the situation escalates rapidly, and the vengeful uh, native screams at the black veterans uh, that they killed his mother and father. Being a victim over and over again, besides being traumatic in real life, is really boring on screen. And Lee understands that basic, uh, that basing a black story on such an experience is uh, a losing proposition. His strategy in Five Bloods echoes Francis Ford Coppola's in Apocalypse Now, which he refers uh, references often. Um, reserve the starring uh, reserve the starring role for men who struggle with their own heart of darkness. 
Uh, in a brilliant performance, Lindo becomes a kind of black Ahab, driven by his demons until he meets his fate. Defy Bloods shows black men as agents of their own destiny, capable of both heroism and horror, as, uh, as we all are as human beings, whose inhumanity is, is as inextricable... Uh, inextric- <laughs> sorry. Whose humanity is an inextricable part of ourselves. This complex subjectivity is what white Hollywood has mostly denied black people, and it is what they deserve. But so do the Vietnamese, Laotians, Cambodians, and Hmong. Perhaps this is asking too much from a, uh, a black story, but it's Lee himself who sets the high bar. Defy Bloods clearly aspires to be a movie that jabs at American racism and imperialism, more, uh, imperialist warmongering. Warmongering. Hang on just a second. But whereas it succeeds at the former, it fails at the latter. Why? In putting black subjectivity at the center, Lee also continues to put American subjectivity at the center. If one can't distangle black subjectivity from the dominant American white subjectivity, it's impossible to apply a genuine anti-imperialist critique. Hence, the marginalized Vietnamese continue to serve the role as excuses for a black drama staged against America's black and white divide. This is not an argument for more Vietnamese inclusion. It's a demand that we recognize how decolonization and anti-imperialism are uh, impossible if we keep reiterating the imperial country's point of view, even from the minority perspective. The fact that most Americans know MLK's speech, I Have a Dream, but not his speech beyond Vietnam, is testimony to the depth of American propaganda, the willingness of Americans to want to feel good about the American dream, and their reluctance to confront the American nightmare. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I, again, I think this movie, you know, it... it it just surface level went over that stuff. You know, I mentioned that MLK was against the Vietnam War, but like, it's just, I feel like that should have been a much bigger focus of, of the script. But, you know, again, I think you're, you're, you're hamstrung a little bit by your perspective. Uh, and Spike Lee has been a successful guy and, you know, uh, a very wealthy person, probably for a good chunk of his life now. Sure. From, I mean, Spike likes the money. Yeah. You know, he, he, took a $200 contract to do commercials for the NYPD. 200, $200 contract? $200,000. Oh, I was going to say, like, what? man, he got fucked on that one. Uh, no, yeah, yeah. Uh, just, you know. It, and again, he's, you know, he's made some profound uh, works over his career. It's just, it's, it, fuck, it just happens to everyone, in, in, especially in Hollywood. You know, you look at some of the stupid shit Michael Moore says, despite all the great, you know, work he's done and the great work he, you know, still does. Like, it's... There's something that breaks in your fucking brain to some extent. Like, there's some compartmentalization where when it when your back, I think, is really up against the wall and you have a lot of money, you know, uh, you, you kind of... You put aside... You put your, your radical principles to the side a little bit, unfortunately, sometimes, I think. You know, you look at fucking LeBron and, like, we, we talked about last week how amazing it was that the NBA players uh, you know did like a wildcat strike and refused to play a playoff game like that which is just unheard of for sports to to strike you know and not play a playoff game uh you know in the wake of the of the unrest in Kenosha and uh you know fucking Obama old reliable <laughs> fucking got on the phone with them and broke the strike and you know told them to be pragmatic basically and was like oh well you know you Go back to work and, you know, just get some commitment from the owners to 
to to open a dialogue on the on the you know, and it's just like this I, I is what fucking out. happens uh, every time. Yeah, Obama is a fucking scab. Yeah, <laughs> like if you if you're trying to break a, a labor strike, you are a fucking scab. And that's literally all Obama ever fucking does is. What are the two things that he did this year where he came out of his fucking you know his windsurfing retirement? Uh, to, to use his political capital, he, you know, fucking crushed cut the, the left, cut the legs out of the off the Bernie Sanders campaign in one fell swoop, and crushed a fucking massive labor strike that had a lot of popular uh, w- sentiment behind it, and was like super fucking unprecedented in the in the mainstream sports world for that many people to stand up for something like that. Just just think about that, like how much power labor has that. A, a single basketball game not being played uh, is is so dangerous to the system that a former president of the United States gets involved in trying to stop that. Yep, that's how much fucking power we have as workers. I mean, obviously, I I don't have as much power uh, as LeBron James, but collectively, we all share that power. Yeah, yeah, and hopefully, we all realize it before it's too. F- I mean, it's it's already too late in a lot of aspects, but there there it's never too late to start doing the right thing. So hopefully, you know, we'll all realize that eventually. But um, yeah, I don't even know where I was going with that. But yeah, it's it's just it's so you know, it's a shame uh, in some aspects. And again, I I really I'm trying not to show in this movie because I. I genuinely, at the end of it, was like, wow, that was really good. But there are just those little elements of it that just kind of eat away at me where it's like, oh, man, this could have been so much sure. more. Well, it's it's because the, the movie teases at those things yeah. and doesn't embrace doesn't them Doesn't engage with them completely. It's periphery, right? Yeah. And, and if you're, if you you know, if the, if the core of the film is about the black trauma of being drafted and going off to fight a war uh, for the white man, um, you got to, <clears throat> you got to, plumb those depths yeah. right uh not not just hint at it even if it is a character study and it is a good one at that so i think we want to uh you know continue just with focusing on what the film does really well which is um you know go into the, the soul of who these guys were um and to <laughs> circle back there we go uh <laughs> to, to chabak bozeman you know again he's He's the heart of the movie, even though he's barely in it. Um, you just you feel his presence throughout the whole thing. Everything they're doing, before they even say his name, you feel, you know, it's called Defy Bloods, and the first thing we get is these four guys meeting. So immediately you know somebody didn't make it back. Yeah. Right? And the whole thing is, you know, how did he die? Oh, he got shot. We couldn't get his, you know, couldn't find his body. And, of course, they say that they're going there to find his body and bring him home. And, you know, I love movies where, like, they're, they're stated, a protagonist has a stated reason for, you know, mm-hmm. what they're doing that's altruistic. But they have a, a, an unstated internal reason that's far more selfish for what they're doing. Uh, and, of course, we find that out if they're, they're going there because they want the gold. You know, they want this treasure. Uh, and, and, of course, that becomes increasingly more difficult as more people get involved in what they're cut for them to get anything and then eventually most of them uh, get killed off and then what's left is just like eh we'll donate it <laughs> so uh, you know uh, the, the altruism wins over but for a while it's kind of like you know they, they go there and they eventually they find um, uh, the, the, you know, the skeleton um, of, uh, of Norman yeah. and the, you know they, they, said, they said ahead of time that once they found that, they would call in a team that's, you know, 
uh, designated to uh, uh, responsibly, safely, whatever you want to call it, uh, dig up the body and have it flown back to the U.S. Um, so we know that's going to happen. But still, the fact that they're leaving with the gold and not Norman, like that resonates as kind of like, here's what they really care about. Like they don't really care that mm-hmm. much as they pretend to, but they still have this memory. Like they're still there's still guilt there as you would with, I think anyone who felt like they left someone behind. Uh, and then of course, when at, at the very end is, as Paul has uh, been bitten by a snake and has been poisoned, is delirious, he's angry. He's in the fucking 120 degree heat. Uh, he, he finally has a hallucination um, of Norman in which Norman forgives him. And we get to see that he, he shot him on accident. Right. Yeah. And again, I kind of feel like if he, if they had like had an argument and he shot him on purpose or, uh, if it wasn't like in the heat of battle, I think that level of guilt would make sense. Sure. But like literally, he he turns around to shoot someone shooting at him and gets you know it's it's completely a mis- yeah, you know, total, friendly, total friendly friendly fire. fire accident. But but he's still you know again it's it is why he's suffering more than the others, and we realize like he he's never told the other guys. That's I think that might be even more of what's eating at him than the actual shooting is just the guilt of like hiding that from them because he's not sure how they're going to take it and how they're going to respond and if they're going to blame him and you know. So yeah, I mean maybe that <clears throat> that shame is why he is different and why he's kind of you know why his politics don't jive with <laughs> any kind of rational thought process yeah. um but i think it you know it ultimately doesn't matter cuz cuz delray lindo sells it so well mm-hmm. uh that you're just like you know how, how old is he now 70 something i'm a double check he's got to be in at least in the 60s um but he's been around a million years but just again never oh my just, god he's british i never would have known he's british Oh really? Yeah, I, I, his, his his voice is like perfectly I feel like, American. I feel like I've seen him in roles where he used his own uh, really? uh, British accent. How old is he though? Sixty-seven. Sixty-seven. Jeez. I mean, just just the level of physicality for all of these actors oh, yeah. in their sixties and seventies in the fucking jungle. Like they shot a in lot of jungle. this in Vietnam and you know in Thailand. Like, oh hey, here's a scene where you have to fall down a hill, and yeah, we use a stunt double for it, but then your foot's gonna be. Uh, you're gonna be hanging upside down by your foot, and you have to try to get the the vine off your foot. Uh, and, and you have to actually do that yourself yeah. <laughs> in fully clothed, sweating like, you know, like the, the only thing I found really unrealistic is like, how are they carrying all those gold and only have one water bottle each? You would A be... little water bottle, too. It was not even was like, <laughs> right. this is all you, you brought have with to you. literally like... carry that much weight in water just to not die. Yeah, like man, that, that, I, I had that same thought. I was like, man, that is going to last you like 30 minutes and you're going to be fucking dying of thirst. But yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, but uh, again, I mean, I'm just, of course, they've got like a trailer there that is air conditioned and they're 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 going to be okay but that still the amount of takes you got to do oh no it's grueling it's physically grueling for sure um yeah yeah like you you see uh you know rick grimes 44 years old jump over the hood of a car once but in reality andrew lincoln had to do it 15 times yeah <laughs> it's, like, it's 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 tough for any actor to, to be, do like a physical action movie um and yeah talk about like a decent amount of action. This like you think it's gonna go one way, like oh this is a character study, like oh actually no it's a treasure hunt movie, like oh actually no it's fucking Rambo, like they, we're gonna we've gotta we're gonna now like redo the Vietnam War, which again kind of falls into some tropes, but um, 
you know, uh, there's no CCR, can... so at least he didn't fall into that trope. That was oh, that's the ultimate Vietnam War trope. Uh, oh my god, seriously! <laughs> fucking fortunate son with the helicopter <sighs> flying down. <laughs> or a uh, uh, devil in a blue dress as the helicopters yeah. are all like swinging around the fucking <laughs> valley and pointing the machine gun. Um, well, you know the interesting, but that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, the interesting thing uh, about the Vietnam stuff, the flashback stuff. You know, obviously the decision to shoot it. In the four three aspect ratio, I really liked you know to kind of delineate the two and and like it's not at all like trying to be they're not trying to hide that move like there's even that scene where like you know the the camera like visibly sh- the screen visibly you know shrinks on it it's it's a cool thing but it, the the other interesting thing with that is having the old actors play like the young versions of themselves that yeah that that like just shooting the like old footage to make it look old like that was kind of like eh whatever uh I gl- i'm glad you brought that up though because i just remembered who the original director attached to it was mm. and it was oliver stone oh interesting. it was oliver stone yeah which is just kind of like uh he's already done three vietnam movies like do you really want to do a fourth i mean he no. was actually in vietnam so maybe he would have done certain elements of of what we were complaining about better but it also would have been a totally different story and it wouldn't have been necessary uh, you know, like i've already seen michael j fox and sean penn go to vietnam like i don't need to see that again yeah. <laughs> you know uh but yeah but but uh you, you mentioned how they they didn't cast younger actors to play their younger selves and i love that and that was apparently that decision was to really hit home how much this they're still living this war mm-hmm. in their own heads as you know uh, elder gentlemen um and yeah, again, like even more physical fucking acting these guys had to do. Yeah, to play <laughs> to, the young versions of themselves running around, and like diving behind things. Seriously. Uh, although one quibble, that, that CIA plane that crashed, um, planes don't break up like that. When planes crash, those chunks of debris will be spread out over several thousand yards. Yeah, they leave like a, tr- like <laughs> a trail behind them of, of it, it, Maybe if you, if you took a plane and just like suspended it in the air from 500 feet up and dropped it straight down, it might break up like that. But uh, yeah, it, yeah. Still though, they needed like a cohesive set piece, and and of course, like I love the like the the box of gold is like perfectly placed in the middle of the fuselage, <laughs> perfectly and not, stacked, not tipped and... over or anything. It's like you know, it's like literally just they open it up and it's like Marcellus Wallace's briefcase moment. You know, like hey, look at all those Wonka bars. <laughs> I, I also I could be wrong, but. I don't think the U.S. government would stamp, like, our official seal on a bunch of gold bars that they're using for, like, illicit purposes to, like, you know... Maybe I'm wrong, and again, maybe I'm wrong, but, like, it it seems like that wouldn't be a wise thing. You'd be like, hey, this is our fucking, you know, like, uh, it it just seems like a little... (laughs) <laughs> a little goofy Seriously. and movie moment to me, but you'd think they just use the Nazi gold to compensate. Yeah, right. you know? <laughs> yeah, which I'm sure is sitting, you know, under the Oval Office or something. You know, just for... right. It's like um, Nicholas Cage is stealing it from the fucking Library of Congress. I'm still, I'm still the, the Nazi gold uh, under under the Oval Office. <laughs> um, so, if you're listening, Michael Bay, this is all free. Oh, man, ideas here man. you can take from us. Uh, I'll I'll totally see National Treasure three. Fucking you know, the hunt for Nazi gold. I'll be all over that. <laughs> National Treasure, National fucking Treasure, the hunt for Curly's gold <laughs> to blooms. You know that that's it's funny that you mentioned that because that was another movie that occurred to me a lot while watching this was City Slickers too. I was like, this is seriously it felt a lot like that movie, but again, that movie's. A, a very much an homage to Treasure of the Sierra Madre. So, right. you know, it, again, it all, it all cycles on itself. Um, but, you know, I, I'm glad that they didn't do that, like, de-aging thing, because 
the the picture they show at the end with them de-aged digitally is so fucking uncanny valley and creepy and not at all like that would have taken me so out of it if they tried to like de-age them in the in the flashback scenes like that so i'm glad they kind of just basically you know darken their beards a little bit did they did they have that i didn't even notice it was a quick photo i I remember it but i don't remember the de-aging in the photo yeah i i I don't know if it's like during the credits or like right at the end yeah they 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 like smooth their faces over and their facial hair and like they look terrible. Like they, they really, really don't look like burn victims. So yeah, it's it's not a good. Ew. It's not a. I'm good. gonna have to go back and watch that part again because I don't. So I'm gl- so I'm very glad they didn't decide to to try to de-age them digitally. Um, and some even like some of the pictures of Delroy Lindo, like where he has like hair in that one picture that they show in like David's out. Like oh man, so weird. Don't do that. A um, little bit, a little bit. But yeah, but I, I just yeah. I, overall, I really enjoyed this movie, so I'm you know I'm glad we're reviewing it, and obviously you know with with Chad. Also, which, just yeah. got to give a little a uh, little nod to uh, uh, Jean Renault. Uh, oh, so good as, as the villain in this. Um, also, kind of like attributing uh, the <clears throat> the legacy of French colonialism there, um, but also just like uh, Leon the professional. Mm-hmm. Right, like is one of my all-time favorite action films from the '90s. Like totally over the top and bombastic, but just like perfect in every fucking way. Uh, anytime I see him in anything, I'm just like great Leon. Mission Impossible. Like he's fucking so Leon, <laughs> he's so great. Um, great accent, just, just great. Just like <laughs> yeah. plays a great asshole in this movie mm-hmm. too. Like a very uh, understated asshole. Yeah, yeah. No, he he really was great. I I, I whatever he pops up, I love. And he, I always like. I barely ever recognize him because he doesn't look quite like he used to. But that, but it's always like, oh shit, it's Gene. he's older. When you hear that yeah, voice, it's like just... you know, that that's that's the man right there. That's you know, All right. um, yeah. I always assumed he was. Oh, he is French. Okay. Uh, he's like, but he's like got the most French name of any actor. That's no, but he's got like he's he apparently is like. Part Spanish, like I don't, that, that, that's why he, he's got a very interesting. Is he? Yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. Know uh, he's nationally French, but he was born in Morocco, and his parents are Moroccan, I guess. So I don't know. Interesting. Yeah, um, there you go. French colonialism. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, um, just great, great movie, great cast. Um, you know, there are definitely things I would have changed, but I, I, I overall enjoyed it, and it was a, it, it was a fun time at the, at the, at the movies on my couch because we can't go to the movies anymore. Well. And it was weird because, like, I saw this on Netflix the day it came out. And I was like, Defy Bloods. I watched the trailer for it, and I was like, oh, when did this come yeah, out? because it looks like a and $100 million movie. Right, right. And I was like, oh, wait, this is Spike Lee. When the fuck did this get? And then it was like, literally, it was like release date today. <laughs> I'm like, oh, fuck. And it was, you know, it was right after, uh, you know, we'd started having riots here in Chicago. Um, and Netflix had sort of curated like their Black Lives quote, Matter, quote content. unquote, Black Lives Matter uh, section, <clears throat> and it was really good. And like all the things they were, because they had never really like curated anything before, mm-hmm. right? You just go scroll through Netflix, and it's like white movie after white movie after white movie after white movie. And you know they they base what you see on your homepage based on what else you've watched. And we tend to watch films with people that look like us. That's just how we consume entertainment. And how it's made, uh, and, mostly. I mean, that's right. you know, majority of movies are made that way too. 
Exactly. Um, so as I was like kind of going through and like I really should I should spend more time watching these movies now that they've curated like some really great films and many of them were things that I'd already seen before Moonlight, mm-hmm. uh, which won Best Picture. We reviewed. <laughs> uh, great famously, movie. famously got to take the Oscar literally <laughs> out of the hands of the white movie everyone the thought was going to win. That, yeah. The whitest movie. I enjoyed movie. that movie. La, but it was super La La Land is great, but it was definitely not the best film of the year. And I was like, "There's <laughs> no way they're going to give the best picture to the actual best picture, which was Moonlight." Mm-hmm. And literally, it was like, "Oh, hey, guess what? We fucked up." <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks for holding that uh, for us. We're gonna. We thanks for holding stage. that. It's, it's it's our moment now. It's our moment. Unbelievable. Now. Uh, and, and Moonlight, if you haven't seen it, is a perfect film yeah. in every fucking way. Go watch that. Uh, more review of it. Fucking uh, tremendous. Yeah, I mean, a phenomenal film in every way. Um, this film, also, I think, great film. Uh, I wouldn't say phenomenal. I would give this probably three point five. Out of five, hammer and sickles. Yeah, I was, um, I was thinking three point five four in that range, maybe three. You know, quarter. I mean, just just technically to go shoot in the country uh, of any country, like shooting outdoor locations is difficult uh, with a bunch of older actors. You know, just props to all these guys. Hundred percent phenomenal yeah. acting work all around. Um, the story, I think, is is a little has some issues as we've stated with you know the politics it's trying to tell and holding back from really embracing wholeheartedly mm-hmm. uh i hope someday we get to see a, uh, a a movie that really i hate to use the term both sides but really shows the the side of the narrative that is the vietnam country the country of vietnam love, yeah. beating us of winning and what that looked like and yeah it was bloody and messy uh you know and you had the Khmer Rouge and killing fields and all that, but all that came about because of our intervention there, mm-hmm. of us messing with with countries that were trying to be just as democratic as we were. Yeah, and dealing right. with their own um, shit, like they didn't need us, you know. Fucking one, up. one series I wanted to mention real quick that I think does a, a good job at attempting that, uh, telling the story of how things really came to be was a, a series on Hulu called The Looming Tower mm-hmm. uh, about the years running up to 9-11 and how uh, you know the, the CIA and FBI were supposed to be working together to stop terrorism. And the CIA basically said, fuck you, we're not going to cooperate with the FBI and we're not going to share intel. And because of that, they allowed a bunch of terrorists into the country that pulled off the worst act of terrorism in U.S. history. Uh, but they spent a really long chunk of time showing what our national policy was, uh, you know, in the Clinton years of just, bom- you know, using drones, same as Obama, same as Bush, same as Trump, using drones to just bomb people, bomb villages, bomb weddings, bomb funerals, bomb little kids, and showing how that radicalized a ton of people to go, uh, you know, commit acts of terrorism against uh, U.S. targets. And, and really not spending just a few minutes on it, but like get, getting deep into the characters and making you really empathize people that are about to go do a suicide bombing. Yeah. Right. And understanding that radicalization. And uh, Jeff Daniels, who plays this FBI agent, is like constantly <laughs> saying, look, you're just making more terrorists. Um, and it's a shame that he's going to now play James Comey in some <laughs> new fucking neoliberal trash the thing. Because this, this, this. <laughs> This Hulu series, Looming Tower, he does a great job of uh, really being kind of like the the lovable asshole um, who is only barely an FBI agent, but really is just there to, like, 
be sort of a, a foil for how bad government is at creating the problem they're pretending to want to care about solving. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Jeff Daniels is a tremendous actor who, you know, a lot of people obviously know him from initially from like Dumb and Dumber, but dude's an amazing, you know, actor who got his start on Broadway and, and, and he's, he's always really good. He's unfortunately been afflicted by the terrible shit lib politics of, Probably yeah. the people he's been surrounded with his whole life, you know, well, New York City, I, I will, Manhattan night liberals. So it's like, yeah, I, I will do? always remember Jeff Daniels um, as the the villain from Looper, oh, uh, yeah, he's which is which is really good. But also as Keanu Reeves' partner in Speed, dude. <laughs> you know, what's, poor guy. You know what's, poor guy walks into that house and it's just like, don't go in there. He's so good in that movie. I love him in that movie. You know what's crazy? The original draft of that script called for him to be the bomber. Like before Dennis uh, Hopper was involved. It, oh, they were gonna. It was like rip off backdrop. Well, it was like an unseen. It was he was gonna be like an un. The bomber was gonna be unseen, and it was gonna be revealed that he was secretly the bomber, which I actually think yeah. might have been interesting. But that, that was like backdraft. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, Love that movie. Speed. Yeah, that's another good one. That movie is very dated backdraft, but it's just it's just like this is the most like '90s salacious sex fiend fire department movie <laughs> you could possibly make. Yep. Yep. Good shit. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah, Five Bloods. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna concur. Th- you know. No, I'm gonna give it three and three quarters. Hammer and sickles. I'm gonna really just just be the asshole that gives. A movie three quarters because it because I really did like it. It was just there there were, the, the, mm-hmm. I can't ignore the my my issues with it. They're they're big enough that they they hindered my my after experience after watching the movie. Yeah, and that's okay, Which you know, because yeah. it's Spike Lee's always going to do something that's going to make you think about it for a while. Sure. And even if a film's not perfect, the fact that I'm thinking about it and people are writing. Uh, you know, actual think pieces. I hate when people like, you know, use that term think piece mm-hmm. when it's just really an op-ed and it's not really thinking at all. Um, oh, when I think, but yeah, that's that, a think piece. That's Whatever I that think. New York Times article. Uh, if you want to read the whole thing, the title of the article is a little convoluted, but the title of the article is Vietnamese Lives, American Imperialist Views, Even in De Five Bloods is the name of the article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely check that out. Yeah, great. Um, so, uh, do you have any other notes about it or you want to... No, no, I think that is it. Yep, yeah, that's all. So, I have. Uh, great film. That's a wrap. <laughs> uh, we'll be back, you know, next week to talk about whatever is happening in the world right now, uh, which is. Oh, one more thing. Yeah. One more thing. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I don't think movies have to have a first, second, and third act, a distinct first, second, third act. You know, there's mm-hmm. many films that have none of that, or have like a five act format, almost more like a Shakespearean play. But this film has a very distinct first, second, third act. But the the duration of each is really strange in this movie. Yeah. The first the first act is like an hour and twenty minutes. The second act is only twenty minutes, and then the the third act is like an hour. And and really, the second act of this film is just from when they set out to look for the gold to when they find the gold and find Norman. Mm-hmm. And that's a very short span of time of this film. And then as soon as they have the gold, it suddenly switches to the third act, which is where landmines and film, machine guns, and it's a war film. And it's like the, the, the setup of this movie takes forever. I, I didn't think it was so real when they found the gold. It. I was like, that, that, obvious, surely this can't be this early in the movie, like that they find the gold and find, like, it just, it felt well, very off-putting the way it was put together. 
it's like Ozarks, you know, like more money, more, more problems. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. it's what do you, now you have all this gold. How the fuck do you get out of it? You know, yeah. how do you, how do you launder that money? Yeah. You know, there's, you can't, you can't take more than $10,000 in cash anywhere. Uh, through customs, I, so I think that that was that could have been yeah. solved with a little trimming in the front and back halves of this movie. It would have felt more like a like an actual like properly structured story. And and look, well, at the end of the day, it, you can structure made the movie me think however like you want. If, but yeah, well, it made me think like if they take all this time to to set this up with this, you know, their their French connection and everything, uh, and it was still that difficult. Thirty five years later, forty years later. What was their plan to do it back when they were still in the country as soldiers? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, stuff in their duffel bags. Like that's not gonna, <laughs> right. Not gonna like work. maybe things around. were looser back then, but like still, like I don't really think this thing through. Yeah. Um, but you know, therein lies the drama. If they if they had a perfect plan, there wouldn't be conflict. You wouldn't have a movie in the first place, For right? Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So definitely recommend uh, go check it out if you haven't already, and somehow listen to an hour and a half of this podcast. Um, yeah, so yeah, if you want to help the show out, rate, review, and subscribe, Apple Podcasts, uh, check us out on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash move left. We uh, have a Patreon at patreon.com slash move left. We have new merch available uh, now through TeePublic because, as we've previously mentioned, Teespring are a bunch of fucking Nazi uh, sympathizers, so we don't use them anymore. Uh, we have merch available at uh, tinyurl.com slash moveleftpod. And that's pod, P-O-D. Because uh, I, I want to make sure I spell that again for you. <laughs> um, and uh, where else are we? Facebook.com slash moveleftidiots. Uh, I am on Twitter at move underscore left. Uh, I am on Twitter at bike slutty. Um, and we also have the dedicated Twitter account. I think you mentioned uh, move left pod and i actually <laughs> god this is it's just a random fucking twitter thing but i had a, a tweet go viral yesterday um when it was announced that rand paul fucking everyone's favorite libertarian rand paul son of ron paul announced he was going to subpoena the flight records hotel records and funding for antifa yep which <laughs> like none of those things exist jigs up boys we got <laughs> right, and for almost the entire day, the ha- uh, the uh, An- Antifa HQ was trending. <laughs> like, so I fucking this is sort of a meme, uh, and I, I tweeted this out. Uh, I, I tweeted breaking Rand Paul to reveal location of Antifa HQ, and then I just included the picture of the the San Francisco Armory Kink dot com castle, <laughs> which. Anyone who's watched porn fucking knows this. What this castle Everyone's looks like. Everyone's like, oh, like. what's that? <laughs> Pretending not to know what the fuck it was. Like. Right, right. The, you know, for everyone that's, that didn't realize that everyone else is also into kink. Uh, so it got like like 700 fucking RTs and 3.5 thousand likes and 124 comments. And like literally there was people that were like, I don't know what that is. And it's like, bullshit, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> if, you, if you did, you were just skipping the intro to every fucking video you watched. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> twitter.com. Love it. Love it. I can't believe this piece of shit website's still free. Yep. Unbelievable. Yeah. And we will see you next week.
a brother There's far too many of you dying You know we've got to find a way To bring some loving here today Father, Father We don't need to escalate War is not the answer For only love can conquer hate You know we've got to find a way To bring some love and get here today Picket lines and picket signs Don't punish me with brutality Talk to me So you can see